Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. There's this really good uh, phrase um, that I think does a really good job of encapsulating the heart of Word and Spirit. It goes, um, when you're all Word and no Spirit, you dry up. When you're all Spirit and no Word, you blow up. But when you've got the Word and the Spirit, you grow up. Amen. You grow up. And um, I know that's so true because I've met Christians before who, like, they know the Word. They know the Bible. But man, there just seems to not be much power in their ministry. It seems like they love the Word. They go to the Word. They understand the Word, but they're just not doing anything with it. You know, so we we don't want to be like that. Um, We not only want to know the Word and understand the Word, which is very important, I think, in this world that we are living in. Um, I think more than ever, it's easy to get sidetracked. It's easy to get deceived around the, the things of God, like what is true, what isn't true. It's hard to know unless you're grounded in the Word. So it's so important that we're grounded in the Word, but it's also so important that we are full with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know, if we want power in our ministry, uh, we need the Holy Spirit. So we need to lean into the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit, be in step with the Spirit. And today's message is all all about that. So if I was going to give today um, this message a name, I would call it How to Know You're Close to God. How to Know You're Close to God. So I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 5 and I want to read verses 16 uh, to 25 to you. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Very interesting. Verse 18, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. And then it just really escalates quickly to orgies at the end there. Um, pretty full on list. Paul is covering all bases. Um, so that right there, that's the works of the flesh. Pretty intense. It says, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is. So that's what it's like when you're not close to God. This is what it's like when you are close to God. You'll see this fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You know, it says that because when you have those fruit evident in your life, I mean, you're just going to be following the commandments of Jesus and you don't even need to try, right? That's why it says against such things, there is no law. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I think even if you believe in Jesus, you can go through seasons in your life where things just feel dark, right? You can go through dark seasons. And this is definitely the case for me from the age of 18 to 22. I've just broken into the 30s. Come on. I can now say that I am a middle-aged man. I'm very excited about that. Middle-aged man. According to the way we um, look at like our our young adults and our adults at Bright Church, we kind of, you know, there's a bit of a gray area there that I'm going to say I'm a middle-aged man now. Makes me feel more spiritual, more mature. Um, 
No. Our senior pastor is at the next echelon of spiritual maturity in the 40s. So for him, he thinks that's still a young adult, but I'm not so sure about it. Um, so, <laughs> so from the age of 18 to 22, though, I just went through this season in my life where the best way to describe it, it was, it was dark. Um, I, I drifted away from church. I was raised in the Christian family and I always went to church. I had Christian friends. I was in that world, but I drifted away from that. I drifted away from church. I drifted away from my Christian friends. Um, I, even though I believed in Jesus still, I wasn't actively following Jesus. And even though it started off fine, a few years into that, it just felt dark. Even though darkness is something that really you can only perceive through your eyes, I could feel it, you know? I'm not sure if you've ever just been um, in a season where you just sense this darkness around you. And I was in that place. And I was aware that I was in that place. But it's even more dangerous if you are a Christian and you're living in the dark and you're unaware of it and you think that you're living in the light. Because many Christians can think that they're living in the light, but in reality, they're actually in the dark. And we know that because this is what John says in 1 John 1, 5 to 6. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So one of the words that we can use to describe God is light. It's a great adjective. So many different words you can use to describe God because God is incredible. He is amazing. Um, but one word, light, it's such a great word. It, it speaks of his holiness, his righteousness, his perfection. Um, Ian McCormack has come and spoken at our church a few times. He's known as the jellyfish man. He actually died and had this incredible encounter with Jesus. And then he came back to life. If that sounds interesting to you, and uh, um, it sounds pretty interesting, even me saying it, I'm like, wow, I want to go listen to that again. Uh, go to our uh, YouTube channel and you can go check out that message. But he describes this encounter with Jesus where Jesus was just emitting light. Like there were just these waves of light coming off Jesus and, and washing over him. That was his encounter. Even when we read the scriptures, um, Jesus transfigured before Peter, James and John. And it describes his appearance um, as being white, like his robe shone like the sun. God is light. It speaks of his purity, but, but it's also literal um, when you're standing before him. It goes on to say in verse six, if we say we have fellowship... So to have fellowship with God means to be with God in his life, in his light, sorry, walking um, along the path that he's called us to walk. So that's fellowship with God. So if we say that, that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, darkness on the other hand, is when we're not in God's light, when we're doing our own thing instead of God's thing, we lie and do not practice the truth. So sometimes we can be oblivious to the fact that we're actually in the dark and we're thinking we're in the light, we're deceived. We can get deceived. And there is a way to deception. It doesn't just all of a sudden you wake up one day, it's like, gosh, I'm in the dark. Um, it doesn't work that way. The, the deception is a process and it starts off with justifying some sin in our life. And it can just be small stuff. We just have to justify. And we can justify for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, for instance, you can compare yourself to other people if you're here today, you're a Christian. I'm sure you've done this before. You can compare yourself. And if you see some Christians, maybe even people you look up to doing certain things, you think, yeah, that's fine. I can do that. All good, right? Um, so we can justify it that way. Or maybe this is more common, and I definitely have done this before. 
um, you can think to yourself, surely God's good with me doing this because I could be doing far worse things, <laughs> right? And man, I used to do that all the time. So you can justify sin that way. But once you start to justify it, then you move on to the next step. And that is you start deliberately doing that sin. So at this point now, you're kind of moving from the light into the dark, but you're at least aware that you're in the dark. You've justified your sin, now you're actively doing it. Now the next thing is kind of dangerous because once you've been walking in a certain sin for a while, what happens is your conscience gets seared to the point where you no longer feel the conviction about it anymore. At this point, now you're in the dark and you're oblivious to the fact that you're in the dark. And that's a dangerous place. Like you don't want to end up in that place. Man, when you're, when you're oblivious to the fact that you're in the dark and you've, you've you know, justified your sin, you've been walking in it for a long time and you see your conscience, you can start to do some crazy things. Like you can start to blame God, right, for your lack of relationship with Him. You can be like, God, where are you? God, why can't I feel you right now? Why aren't you showing up? Like where, where art thou, God, right now in my situation? And this can happen. We start to put God on trial and think, God, why have you drifted away from me? Where are you? But here is the inconvenient truth that I think we need to realize. Whenever we feel far from God, just know that He wasn't the one who left us. We were the ones who drifted away from Him. So there's a tension here, speaking about living in the light and living in the dark. And, and that is, is it possible to still be saved, right? So have a saving relationship with Jesus and be going to heaven. Is it possible to still be saved, but be living in the dark, but be living in the dark? And as I was doing my research, I came across this fascinating um, commentary that had this to say about that thought. So the commentator said, and this is around 1 John 1, 5 to 6, which speaks of these things. It says, the issue here is fellowship, not salvation. The Christian who temporarily walks in darkness is still saved... That's good news, right? Is still saved, but not in fellowship with God. Think about that. So it's kind of good news. It's like, well, yes, you're still saved, but there's a but. And the but's pretty big. And that is that living saved in the absence of fellowship, it will deprive your soul and break God's heart. In my dark days, at the very start of it, at 18, when I first started kind of living in the dark, um, everything was okay at the start. And in fact, I, I was kind of enjoying it, to be honest. Don't need to get up early and go to church. Not surrounded by a bunch of good Christian people who make me feel bad about myself whenever I just want to let loose. You know, I kind of felt good at the start. It's like, this is awesome. I'm loving this. Man, it was the best. Man, I'm going to heaven, do what I want. Praise God, so far, grace through faith in Jesus. Right, it's, a, it's awesome. Um, but it didn't last. Man, a few years into that lifestyle, I just felt broken on the inside. And what you've got to understand is once you give your life to Jesus, it's impossible to live in peace apart from Him. You're just not designed for it. So what are some of the outward signs that maybe we're starting to drift a little bit? Maybe, maybe we're starting, our fellowship with God is starting just to not be what, what it once was. What are some signs? We talk about Christian essentials um, here at our church. We talk about them in Growth Track Step 2. 
Um, we also have our discipleship journey, which is kind of a pathway to help people find the next step. So Christian essentials, Christian practices are, are a really good indicator to kind of tell you where you're at with your relationship with God. And what I've found is that oftentimes it's the harder practices um, that start to drift away as we are drifting away from God, right? So what are some of the harder things to do as a Christian? Talk about Jesus to people who don't know God. <laughs> like that is one of the hardest things to do. Um, when someone is in love with Jesus and close to Jesus and passionate about their faith, they don't need to be convinced by a pastor or a great leader that it's a good idea to share your faith, yeah. right? They just go and share their faith. Yeah. They just invite their friends to come along to church, right? It's just a natural thing because you're close to God. You're excited about God and you're excited about what God could do in the life of your friend or family member who doesn't know Him. So you want to share about God. You want to share about Jesus. But as you drift away from God, as you start to drift into that dark place, you, you stop maybe sharing your faith. You stop, faith. You stop being invitational. So what happens is you, you're starting to focus more on yourself rather than others, essentially. So ministry can start to kind of fade away. So you know you're kind of maybe drifting from God a little bit. If you're going into your workplace, into your university, and you don't have a lens um, for how can I bring God's kingdom into this place? Like, how can I go into my workplace and actually be light in the dark right here? What does God want me to do in my work? What does God want me to do in my university? Like, what does God want me to do in my family, right? Like, when you're close to God, you're thinking that way. And the amazing thing is, when you're thinking that way, it makes work so much better. It makes learning, it makes university so much better. But when you're drifting away from God, you just start, you stop thinking that way. And the next thing that can start to go is Christian community. Um, like maybe, let's face it, like when you're really in love with Jesus, when you're really close to God, you don't need to be convinced by a leader that, hey, maybe do you want to come and join this team. It's like, I'll join every team. Yeah. I've met people before and you just can't stop these people. They want to join every team. They want to be on everything, right? I was actually speaking to one of these incredible people not that long ago, and she was telling me how excited she gets about serving. She's like, hey, I've had a really hard week, um, but then I look forward to Sunday because I get to serve. I get to serve at church. And I'm like, I want some of that anointing. Like, come on in Jesus' name. Like, it's amazing. Like, when you're close to God, you get excited about serving. Um, and I know everyone's on a different path and called to different things. And maybe there's seasons in our life where maybe you can't engage as much in that stuff, but maybe you start to drift away from other things. Like you start to drift away from your small group community. Um, you were really excited about going every week, but now, you know, the excuses for your small group leader as to why you're showing, not showing up are starting to get pretty poor. Right, and you know what I'm talking about. You know you've been there before. Or maybe you start to drift away from church. You're just not really engaging in church anymore. These are outward signs that maybe your fellowship with God isn't where it could be. And I think that it can go even deeper than this where when you're drifting away from God, where you really know that your fellowship is not where it should be when He no longer is your first point of call. Like when you're in trouble, when things aren't going well, you're no longer running to God. You're no longer getting, you know, um, driving to church with worship music. I instead, now you're running to other people. You're running to other things maybe that you shouldn't be running to. That, that can be a really good indication that maybe you're, you're drifting. Yeah. You're drifting. 
And I don't want anyone here to feel guilty today because I think if we all go through moments like this in our, in our walk with God, it, it can happen. Um, and I've never met a Christian who was actually excited about the fact that they were drifting away from God. <laughs> I've, I've never met that person. But I've met a lot of Christians who feel bad and wish that they felt more motivated to go to church. A lot of Christians who felt, oh man, I just wish that I really had a, had a passion for, for reading the Word. I wish that I had a passion for prayer. I've met most Christians are like that, and that, that's awesome. I think that's really good. So I, I don't want anyone to feel convicted and bad. If maybe, you've, maybe you are kind of drifting a little bit, well, but we do need to get to the bottom of this and figure out who's the culprit. Like what's happening? What causes us to drift? So some people can sometimes blame the world for it. You know, the Bible talks about how the world can be evil. And I think that's, that's, that's true. Like the current of the world is against the things of God. So if you just allow yourself to get taken by the current, you're going to get taken away from the things of God, right? Um, So some people blame the world. Some people can blame Satan himself, like the devil. For instance, oh, why don't you make it to church this morning? The devil, you know. (laughs) He snuck into my room and he turned off my alarm. (laughs) Has anyone ever used that excuse before? Um, So some people blame the devil, but... Hey, God is omnipresent. The, the devil isn't. There are billions of people on planet Earth. And if he's sneaking into your room at 8 a.m. to turn off uh, your alarm, man, you must be pretty amazing and pretty special. If that is the case, then I actually want to meet with you. God's got an amazing plan for your life. Um, but hey, may, may, maybe, it's not, maybe it's not Satan. Maybe we shouldn't always be blaming the devil. Let's not let the main culprit off the hook. When it comes to fading from fellowship with Jesus. I tell you the main reason this happens. We allow our flesh nature to take the wheel. Our flesh nature. This element to ourselves that even though when we get saved, um, we still have our flesh, our old nature that we have to deal with, that we need to overcome. Habitual works of the flesh are evidence of separation between you and God. I have a side um, yard at my house. It's pretty impressive, I know. I have a backyard, I have a front yard, and I have a side yard. <laughs> it's, not very impre- it's not very impressive. It's not much of a side yard. Um, but when, when me and my wife first moved in, I was really excited because there was this little tree. And I'm like, that looks like a lemon tree. And lemon trees are really helpful. Because like sometimes you're cooking, it's like this thing needs lemon. It's like, ah, oh, man. So I need to go all the way down to Woolies to get lemon. Like that's annoying. Um, maybe you're making a drink and that drink could use a nice wedge of lemon in it. Um, so it's great to have a lemon tree. So I was really excited about the lemon tree. And one day I was making a drink and I wanted a lemon. So I went out, I grabbed one of these lemons. I brought it inside, I cut it in half. I looked at it and I'm like, hmm, there's something not quite right about this. Then I squeezed it and I tasted it and I went, Oh, this is an orange. This is orange juice. This isn't going to work in this drink. And I was very disappointed. Um, I am colorblind, everybody. Just letting you know right now, I am colorblind. So maybe uh, I should have asked my wife about, you know, the lemon tree before I tried to use it. I got an applause for asking my Amen. Yeah, men, just ask your wife more often about stuff before you do things. Go to your wife. She's a gift from God. Honor her. Hey, this sermon could take a different direction, Pastor Ben, right now. I feel like the Spirit. Go with the Spirit. Go with the Spirit. 
Um, you know, but, but what I learned, and something that I felt God speak to me about, like in this, in this moment with this lemon slash orange, um, is that, you know, it's actually what comes out of the fruit that reveals what it is. Like, even if it looks like something, it's what comes out of it and what comes out of it when it's squeezed that reveals the reality of what that thing is. You know, life will squeeze you. Life will squeeze you. There's going to be pressure. There's going to be heat. You can't get away from it. It's normal. It happens to everyone. When life squeezes you, what comes out of you? When life squeezes you, what comes out of you? If your flesh has the wheel in your life, when you're squeezed, it's going to be works of the flesh that come out. So what are these works of the flesh? Let's go back to Galatians chapter 5 and have another look. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident in verse 19. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Like, that's not the full list. It's the way um, Paul writes it. It's almost as if he's almost annoyed that he even has to write these things down, but he's writing them down anyway, and he's like, other things like these, guys. You know what I'm talking about. So that's what he's saying. And there are some things on that list where it's like, wow, that's really intense. Um, But there's also some things on this list, like idolatry, that I think sometimes we just overlook. Because let's be honest, I think everyone in this room has probably committed idolatry to an extent at some point, even this week. Right? So what is idolatry? It's when we put anything in our life, you know, above God. When we have things in our life that we are loving more than we love God. Like that, that, that's idolatry. Now it goes on to say after this list, it says, I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What? Does that mean if I've committed adultery this week that I'm not going to inherit the kingdom of God? Like that is scary. Like when you read that and you just take it literally, that can be scary, right? That can be really scary. And I've got to be honest, sometimes when life squeezes me, I'm not perfect. Sometimes when life squeezes me, I don't run to the prayer closet and pray and read the Bible. There are moments when things heat up, when I feel the pressure that I might just escape to my Xbox. (laughs) It can happen. It can happen. Ask my wife. Um, And there are others of you in this room who do the same thing. But maybe you may escape to other things that maybe seem a little bit more mature. Like you escape to a magazine or a book, right? That can be the thing that you escape to. But, you know, there, there are times when life squeezes us where things come out of us and we're like, gosh, man, like really? Did that just happen? So does that mean that you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God? No. The word practice here is really important. The Apostle Paul says those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So breathe, everyone. (sighs) Breathe. So what does it mean to practice these things? That is when you are, that is when you get into this place where you're deliberately doing it and you're enjoying what you're doing and you're not even trying to change. You're not even trying to repent. You're not even trying to turn around. When you find yourself in that place, Man, you've got to turn. You've got to turn back to God. You've got to talk to someone. 
You know, you've got to talk to your spouse. You've got to talk to, I don't know, your small group leader, just someone. You've got to enter into a conversation because that's a dangerous place to be. But the great news is you can turn around in a moment. You can turn back to God in a moment. So if you're here today and you're realizing, oh my goodness, that could be me, I could be in that place. Hey, the good news is that can change today. That you can turn it around today. So temptation is going to come. Life is going to squeeze you. My encouragement to you is when life squeezes you, you need to be ready to fight. So the Bible talks about spiritual armor that we can wear. Um, And one of the offensive weapons that we have is a sword. And it's called the sword of the spirit. And it is the Word of God. Can I ask you a question? Like when temptations come your way, do you have a word in your spirit, a word in your heart to come against that temptation? Or does that temptation just beat you up and have a field day with you? Because when the, the Bible tells us that if we get God's words into us, this series is Word and Spirit. When we are in the Word, right? When we're getting the words of God into us, you would be amazed. A temptation will come your way right? And at the very same time, a word will just come up, right? God will just put this word in you and it's like, it's time to go to, it's time to go to war. It's time to fight. And you can come against that temptation. I tell you right now, that temptation will not stand up against the word of God that's been put in your heart. But it takes a little bit of, a bit of practice. It takes a little bit of reading. It takes getting into the word. Amen? Amen. Come on. So the opposite of living in darkness and producing the works of the flesh is living in the light. So living in the light means to be keeping in step with the Spirit. So how do you know that you are keeping in step with the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of keeping in step with the Spirit. In Numbers, there is this story about this man called Balaam. And Balaam was a man who had supernatural gifts, like from God. He was a pretty incredible prophet. Like he would speak oracles, he would speak words, and they would come to pass. He was so talented that kings would go to him and pay him money for him to come and prophesy because they knew that he was so gifted. This gift that he had, it did come from God. He did hear from God. When you read the scriptures, you know that he did. But just because he had this amazing gift and it was working and in operation, that doesn't mean that Balaam was in the light, in God's will. We know this because Balaam actually tried to prophesy against God's people, the people of Israel. It didn't work out very well for him. But just a heads up, if you ever find yourself prophesying against God's people, you're probably not in the light. You're probably in the dark. So this is Balaam. He is doing that. It doesn't work out very well, but we learn a really important lesson. And that is, hey, never, never think you're close to God and you're living in the light if you're super gifted and maybe even supernaturally gifted and that gift is really in operation in your life. Because sometimes the gifts can be in operation even though we can be far from God. So even as Christians, you've got to be discerning. Even when it comes to, because we have a problem as people, sometimes we can like, idolize other Christians who are like super spiritual from our point of view and absolutely killing it. But just be careful to uh, model your life after the life of another person who is moving, you know, seems to be um, moving in signs and wonders and everything, because that's not the thing that we should be looking at. We should be looking for the fruit of the Spirit in their life. 
And there's a difference between the fruit of the Spirit and supernatural gifts being in operation. Um, So, what are these fruits of the Spirit that we should be looking for? Well, let's go back to Galatians. So in verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It starts off with love, and I love that. And commentators say that actually the Apostle Paul could have stopped here. Because everything that comes after love are just expressions of love. There are other fruit, but they are just expressions of love. So it says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A pretty incredible list. As I was studying this list, there are a few things that really stood out to me. And I want to share it because I think it's going to help a few people. Um, When it talks about peace... In the original language, that word is Irene, and this is what it means. It means tranquility of the heart from revelation of God's sovereignty. You can come to a place in your relationship with God where it doesn't matter how bad the storm is that you're facing. It doesn't matter how bad the news is. When it happens, there is something within you that just whispers, God's got this. Don't you want to be in that place? But that is a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from nowhere other than God. So there's peace. And I also just want to mention patience. Because in some translations, it actually has the word long-suffering. So patience, long-suffering, this is what it's referring to. And there's something that you've got to understand, and that is the enemy of your soul isn't going to try and take you out in one big blow. He's going to try and take you out by a thousand cuts. He's going to try and wear you out over time. Anyone who's ever gotten over an addiction knows that it's a slog. It's not always easy. Sometimes there is supernatural breakthrough in a moment, but oftentimes you need to endure some pain to get free. So the enemy of your soul will slowly try and take you out over time. Just slowly come after you, slowly nudge you, slowly mess with you until you finally give up. That is why we need the fruit of the spirit of patience and long suffering. So it's a pretty intense list. And I said before, this is how you know that you are keeping in step with the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is evidence of keeping in step with the spirit. So that's a pretty intense list. I wonder how you're going with all those things. It's called fruit for a reason. The behaviours of the flesh, it's called works, works of the flesh. But when it comes to these things, the evidence of being close to God, of keeping in step with the Spirit, it uses the word fruit. Right? So why is that important? It's important because fruit takes time. It doesn't just all of a sudden happen, right? You gotta water it, you gotta have good soil, and it takes a lot of effort. You know, after the Apostle Paul speaks about the fruit of the Spirit, in verse 24, he says, "'And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, "'have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires.'" That is very deliberate. The fact that that verse comes after the list of the fruit of the Spirit is very deliberate. And there's a few things that you need to take note of. The first is that word crucify. That's an important word because Paul could have just said, you need to kill your old nature. You've got to kill the flesh. But he says, no, 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 you've got to crucify your flesh. 
that word crucify is used because it describes the type of battle that you're going to be in. It's going to be messy, guys. Overcoming your old nature, overcoming your flesh, it isn't just simple. It isn't easy. It, is, it can get messy. There can be ups, there can be downs, there can be tears. It's a messy fight. And the second thing that we learn here is crucifying the flesh isn't something that is done to us. It is something that is done by us. So I really felt from God that I needed to say this to some people today. If you are trying your very best and not seeing the fruit, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep fighting. I looked into I was going to say fruit farms because that's what I looked up. In all honesty, I looked up fruit farms. I want to know how, how do you um, produce an amazing fruit farm that produces great fruit? And then I realized a fruit farm is actually an orchard, everybody, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> so I was looking at, thanks, thanks. So I was looking into orchards. So I was thinking like, gosh, this seems to be quite a supernatural thing, like crucifying the flesh and, and the idea of fruit. So I was thinking, okay, how, how do you produce, maybe in the natural, like how do you produce great fruit in an orchard? Like what, what would, if you work there, what would you need? And as I was researching, one of the things that I came across was like fertilizer, the importance of having really good fertilizer. Without great fertilizer, you're not gonna produce great fruit. So then I looked up, okay, so what is the best types of fertilizer? And the first fertilizer that came up as I was looking was this fertilizer called blood meal, right? It's, yeah, you can guess what's in this fertilizer, but I just wanted to make sure. So I looked up, what is in this blood meal fertilizer? And essentially the way that they make, up, make it is they scrape up like the remains of animals and the blood which is left on, on the ground, on the floor of slaughterhouses. And this goes into this fertilizer and it's really rich in nitrogen. So when they use this fertilizer um, in orchards, it produces amazing fruit. And I started to realize the connection between crucifying our flesh and producing fruit. You know, our crucified flesh is supposed to act as fertilizer for the fruit of the Spirit to grow in our lives. That's the way it's supposed to happen. So if you're not engaging in the fight against your flesh, then you're not going to be seeing the fruit. And if you're not engaging in the fight against your flesh, the chances are that you're going to be in a place of drift away from God, from light to darkness, and you don't want to be in that place. So what I said before, I said, hey, if you want to know whether you're in step with the Spirit, look for the fruit. Well, I'm going to add to that. If you want to know whether or not you're in step with the Spirit, ask yourself this question. Are you engaging in the fight against your flesh? Because if you are engaging in the flight against your flesh, guess what? The fruit will come. I invite everyone to stand. So I'm going to pray. I want to pray for people and it's going to be very straightforward. So I invite everyone just to close your eyes. I just felt from God just to pray for people who want to make a decision today before God 
that you're gonna take up the fight against your flesh. Straightforward. So maybe you once were fighting, but maybe just the busyness of life and, and you felt pretty worn out in the battle and you kind of gave, give, you gave up. And to be honest, if, you, if you're gonna be very real with yourself today, you couldn't say that you are fighting against the temptations that, you're, that are coming your way. And maybe you're just allowing yourself to be led by your feelings all the time. So maybe you're in that place or maybe you gave your life to Jesus. And to be honest, you never really stepped into the place of waging war against your flesh. And, and you never really fully tried to embrace everything that God had for you and to be walking in the Spirit. So if you're here today and simply you just wanna to say to God, before God, that God, I'm taking up the fight against my flesh again, or for the first time today, all you gotta do is just raise your hand and I'm gonna pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, I thank You so much that You sent Your one and only Son, Jesus, to die for us. I thank You, Father, that there is more than enough grace for us. God, I thank You that when life squeezes us, when the pressure comes, when the heat comes, and there is something inside of us that wants to burst out of us that isn't of You, maybe that is evil, God. I thank You that in those moments, You were just there. And God, I thank You that there is more than enough grace for us to say yes to You and no to that thing. Father God, I pray for every person here today who is in the middle of a fight. They just, they feel it. Like they just feel like there is attack happening in their life, that their flesh is raging against them. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help them in this battle. God, I pray that they would have fresh revelation, that God, you in them is greater than, the, than their flesh nature that is coming in against them. God, you in them is greater. And Father, you have everything that they need. Father, I pray that every person here would feel so encouraged. God, I pray that their identity wouldn't come from the things that, they are doing, but who you say they are. God, I pray for anyone here today and there's a deep rooted thing, maybe the reason why you're struggling with something, um, it actually comes back to identity. God, I pray that everyone here would just have a fresh revelation that they are sons and daughters of the living God and you've called them, you've set them apart, you have an amazing plan for them. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray that we would be a church full of people who are producing the fruit of the Spirit. And God, I pray that as our friends, as our family, as our community encounter us, God, that they would encounter your fruit, that they would encounter you. Because God, if they're encountering the fruit, the truth is they're encountering you. It's you in work with, within us. And God, I pray that we would be a light in a dark world. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.